0: Uh, Hello and welcome to another episode of Community Relations Corner, where we discuss issues of concern to New York's Jewish community and our friends and partners all over the city. And I'm your host, Michael Miller, the executive vice president and CEO of the Jewish Community Relations Council of New York, coming to you today from our offices on 34th Street in Manhattan. On each episode of Community Relations Corner, we are joined by guests representing the political, governmental, religious, and diverse community leadership in New York. And together we discuss uh, current events impacting the New York Jewish community and its many neighbors, as well as the state of our city, the state of our state, and the state of the world at times, obviously the state of the nation. This episode is sponsored by the Free Synagogue of Flushing, serving the Reformed Jewish community in Queens, New York for over a century. Visit freesynagogueflushing.org for information about their Shabbat and holiday services, weekly Sunday school, and the beautiful spaces available for public rental. Once again, visit freesynagogueflushing.org. Thank you very much to our wonderful sponsor. Now on to today's program. Exactly one year ago on December 10th, 2019, As I think we all know, because I saw it on the news today, two assailants murdered Detective Joseph Seals and drove to the Jersey City Kosher Supermarket. There, they exited their van and opened fire, killing Mindy Ferenz, the store owner, Douglas Miguel Rodriguez, who worked there, and a rabbinical student, Moshe Deutsch, who who was purchasing some food at the time. While this incident shocked the Jewish community and the nation, it wouldn't be the last. Several more anti Semitic incidents were, per, were perpetrated upon Jewish communities during that month's observance of Hanukkah, including a bloody attack in a rabbi's home in Muncie, New York, where a man entered brandishing a machete and began slashing those attending a Hanukkah celebration. Five Hasidic Jews were stabbed, and one, Joseph Newman, died of his injuries a few months later. While this evening, we celebrate the first night of Hanukkah and hope for a peaceful holiday, hate crimes are very much on our minds. To allay our fears, we are dependent on law enforcement agencies and here in New York, very much so on the New York Police Department. To engage in conversation with us in this regard, we welcome our very good friend, Deputy Inspector Mark Molinari, Commanding Officer of NYPD's Hate Crimes Task Force. Welcome, Inspector, wonderful to have you.
1: Thank you, Mr. Miller, I appreciate being here.
0: So, first question for you is, um, how and when did the Hate Crimes Task Force, we'll call the HCTF, come into existence? What was the catalyst behind its creation? Was there a specific incident, a rise in hate crimes, a change in the state laws, or a combination of many factors?
1: That is a great question for this time of year. Uh, New Year's Eve is going to be the 40th anniversary of the NYPD having a unit investigating hate crimes. Uh, back in the late 70s, 78, 79, there was a series of very vicious anti-gay attacks in, in the city. And then Mayor Koch pushed the NYPD to create a unit to work on these. And they created the Bias Incident Investigation Unit.
0: Uh, now, originally, so, it was called Bias Incident Investigation.
1: Bias Incident Investigation Unit was the, the first name. Um, now, what's interesting about that is uh, the, the hate crime law that we use to prosecute hate crime criminals right now wasn't signed into law until the year 2000. So for 20 years, the NYPD was investigating and tracking hate crimes, chronicling hate crimes, running stats on hate crimes without a law to really prosecute somebody as being guilty of a hate crime. Hmm. Around the same time that law was signed in in 2000, the NYPD changed the name to the Hate Crime Task Force. Uh
0: Uh-huh. So let's deal with hate crimes and many of our our viewers uh, who are watching live and some will watch it later want to know how a hate crime is determined. What difference does it make uh, if it's a hate crime or when it comes to prosecution and sentencing or resources utilized by NYPD in investigating what happens when you are told that something has uh, been perpetrated, that maybe, I mean, how, how does all this happen?
1: That's a lot of questions that I could take up an hour answering. So let me, uh, let me try to condense it down into an order. Uh, hate crime is really determined by the hate crime law that I mentioned. Signed in 2000 in the New York state penal law, there's a section for hate crimes. And it defines what a hate crime is. It defines the protected identity groups. Uh, so let's start there. Uh, the easiest definition of a hate crime from that law, the shortest version, is a crime motivated in whole or substantial part by the identity of the victim. And the victim could be a person or a place.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the identity groups are uh, you know, a lot of common knowledge, uh, race, religion, national origin, ancestry, uh, sexual orientation, gender, age, disability. I always miss one or two, but uh, you you get the the idea. There's there's 10 of them. Uh, So that law was created. It defines what a hate crime is. It defines the crimes that have to be committed to make it a hate crime. Uh, But what really serves as is a sentence enhancer. Uh, For those who know, or I'll give you a very brief version of it, the New York State Penal Law crimes are divided by felonies and misdemeanors. Felonies are ranked by order of severity, A through E, A being the most serious. Misdemeanors are A and B, A being the most serious. But that, head, that hate crime law is an enhancer. So it could take a D felony and turn it into a C felony. It bumps it up one letter closer to the top. Uh, and what the real impetus of this is that when judges sentence criminals, uh, defendants, they use that, that letter grade as a determinant on how long this person should be in prison. So a D felony could get you, let's say, just an example, three to five years. A C felony can get you five to seven years. So they use that as an enhancer to punish somebody more appropriately for the act they did, not just the crime, but their motivation behind it.
0: So it's correlated with the penalty? Yes. And the objective is that uh, the penalty would then be a deterrent for someone committing a a crime that, uh, if it be a hate crime, that... Uh, the person would be penalized to a greater extent than if it wasn't a hate crime. Correct. Okay, so how does, thank you very much. So how does one go about reporting a hate crime?
1: The easiest and to me the best way is calling 911. I'm a cop for 25 and a half years now. And when I came on, people will remember that time frame, uh from the 80s into the mid 90s when I came on that the 911 system wasn't, Um, adequate enough. It really wasn't uh, the the level it's at now. Obviously, we've improved it greatly over the years, but you used to hear, leave 911 for emergencies. Those days are long gone. Uh, 911 as an amazing system now. The best way is always call 911. Any other way, you can call 311. uh, You could find a cop on the street. You could flag down a car passing by. You could walk into the precincts. But if you're a victim of any crime and that perpetrator might still be in the area, call 911, it's going to get you the quickest response uh, to the scene of where you are. And that is important for how the NYPD takes and handles hate crimes. We need that triggered response. We need the cops on the scene, preferably through 911 to get there because NYPD protocol mandates that those cops, if, uh, if it's a possible bias incident, possible hate crime, those cops have to call a supervisor. The supervisor has to call an executive, a captain or above. It's our department manual is a binder, this fat. It's eleven hundred pages of telling you everything to do to be a cop. But hate crimes are the probably the only, if not one of the very few, incidents where an executive has to be on the scene doing the investigation. Define, we want please, to please, that define,
0: please define an executive for us.
1: Uh, captain and above. Okay. And twenty-four hours a day, there's a captain working in every precinct, uh, every borough in the city. There's two executives in every precinct, there's borough staff. Uh, So there's always plenty of executives around, but they have to get plugged in immediately because we need to make sure the patrol resources know what's going on and investigate the crime and and catch a perpetrator if it's still possible and that it's handled correctly in the investigation. That executive has to send it over to my office.
0: Got it. So let let me give you an example, an illustration and maybe you can help Uh, our our viewers and myself as well, uh, in understanding uh, what takes precedence and when HCTF gets involved and when it doesn't. So we often learn about arrests following minor disputes with name calling and disparaging remarks that escalated into a physical altercation. But while appearing to be one and the same, some are identified as assaults, yet others are categorized as hate crimes. So how do you determine which, which is which?
1: some are easier and some are more vague and we go back to that definition of a hate crime from the penal law uh motivated in whole or substantial part by the identity of the victim what is the motivation that made this perpetrator commit this crime against this victim now the easiest example we always use is a car accident mm-hmm. somebody runs a stop sign and crashes into my brand new car i'm furious i get out and i start yelling at them what's wrong with you you can't drive how come you didn't see that stop sign maybe i push them Or maybe I hit them because I'm so angry about them hitting my car. What is the motivation for that? I'm mad at their driving skills or lack thereof. But now what if I throw in what we call gratuitous slurs? After all of that, after me voicing my dissatisfaction with their driving ability, I throw in a slur against their religion or their race. Does that change the motivation for why I'm angry? I'm still mad that they can't drive and they hit my brand new car. That's still what starts it. Would I have just jumped out of my car and hit them because of their identity without a car accident? Possibly, but probably not. Would I have reacted the same way of people of a different identity group who ran a stop sign and hit my car? Most likely, yes. So we have to look at what's the, the the shortest question to always ask is, what's the actual motivation for this?
0: So when we get to the matter of, of motivation And again, we have this uh, car accident as you laid it out uh, that eventually that that starts out as nothing uh, more than that as bad as or as uh, minor as it might be. And and then it escalates Uh, and people start saying things that could be quite offensive. Uh, And people can say pretty awful and hurtful things but we live in a country that prides itself on our constitutional right to the freedom of, of speech so how is it that some incidents involved, uh, some incidents involving very offensive or anti-Semitic language are treated as freedom of speech while others are deemed to be hate crimes?
1: Well, as the definition says, uh, to be a hate crime, you need an underlying crime. You need a crime to happen. And at a, the lowest level of criminality in that is basically going after somebody for their identity and either attempting threatening or actually making some sort of physical contact with them, even if there's no injury. So again, let's get into examples. If I'm standing on a street corner and I feel like espousing my hatred of any identity or all identities, and I'm using disgusting language about that identity and what my feelings are, and I'm just standing there with my hands in my pockets. I could stand there and do that all day. I'm protected by the constitution to do that. But now what if I go after someone? What if I charge after somebody or I push someone while using that language? Well, now I'm clearly targeting that person. I'm taking that free speech and I'm adding a threat or an act into it based on the identity of that person that makes it a hate crime.
0: Hmm. Is there any difference between a hate crime and a bias incident or is one and the same?
1: In some circles, the, the uh, words are interchangeable. I, I actually said it before, our patrol guide procedure, our department manual calls it a bias incident, um, but obviously we're the hate crime unit. Uh, they're sometimes interchangeable. Really, if you break it down, a hate crime is a crime. It's labeled by the uh, the hate crime law. A bias incident could be that me standing on a street corner espousing my hatred of, uh, of an identity group. It's still biased and it's still an incident, but it's not a hate crime. A lot of organizations track bias incidents, which I feel they should. There's obviously more bias incidents than hate crimes because they track an overall sentiment and temperature of a neighborhood or a city of, of what's actually going on there.
0: Uh, can, thank you. Could, can you give us uh, like a behind the scenes of what happens when you investigate a hate crime? Uh, what does a uh, police officer, what does a detective do, um, almost like a step by by step with, from, from within the manual, uh, to A, to categorize it as, as, as a hate crime, and B, to take whatever next step um, is, is then required. But that categorization as, as a hate crime I I know that maybe it's uh, folks who are on this call, but I I, I certainly have heard it from, from many others. The incident is being, here on the news, the incident is being investigated as a hate crime. What does that mean?
1: Well, as the procedure I said, when it goes from the police officer to the supervisor to the executive and then comes to my office, it comes in, the term is a possible hate crime. Because really, we're the ones who determine whether it is or isn't. Uh, based on case law, based on us working with our legal bureau, hmm. based on me conferring with the chief of detectives, uh, based on the district attorney's office, and putting all of our heads together in, does this actually fit the hate crime law? So they're always going to say it's being investigated as, because it is. Uh, we could take a case and really not sure about it, and weeks later determine it is, or weeks later determine it's not, that it could be motivated by something else. Um a big thing with that is actually catching a perpetrator. We may catch a perpetrator weeks later and we need the statements from that interrogation to determine what was the actual motivation. And then we'll classify or reclassify as, uh, as we see fit in that.
0: So uh, one of our, our viewers just posted something in, in the chat. Um, if somebody were to scrawl a swastika on the sidewalk, would that be considered to be a hate crime, a bias incident or neither?
1: Another topic I can go into an hour for, but we don't have that time. Um, It would be both, obviously, it's a bias. uh, It's a bias situation, but it is also a hate crime. Uh, In addition to the hate crime law, there's a charge in the penal law, Aggravated Harassment First Degree, which is drawing a swastika, burning a cross, or affixing a noose uh, in a public place. So it's very interesting because uh, our criminal mischief charge So if I write an obscenity about an identity group and spray paint on the wall, it's a criminal mischief. But if I draw a swastika in with any implement on any property, it is also it's an automatic hate crime. And looking at the um, I'm sure you're going to get into it at some point, but looking at the statistics we have for hate crimes, usually every year, 50 to 55 percent of our hate crimes are against the Jewish community. But looking at those crimes that 50 to 55 percent about 80 percent of them are property damage and 75 percent are drawing swastikas a huge mm-hmm. huge chunk of, a chunk of our hate crimes are the drawing of swastikas last year i think there were uh, close to 200
0: 200
1: swastikas swastika cases in the city mm-hmm. in the year maybe a little probably about 180.
0: Does, does it make a difference where the swastika is, is, is drawn? I mean, if, as uh, one, one of our viewers posted, sidewalk, uh, another viewer posted on, on a garbage pile, A slogans on a garbage pile. Um, so um, does that fit into the determination of what is and what is not a hate crime and how it's investigated?
1: The law says that it has to be real property which is a legal definition, uh, written on a garbage pile, probably not. Written on a car, written on a building, uh, a storefront, or a sidewalk, those would be defined as
0: real property. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, to our, our viewers, if you want to post something on, on the chat that you would like me to, to ask, feel free to do so uh, to the extent that I can follow these things while asking questions and, and getting prepared for the next question. I, I certainly will make every effort to do so. And I thank you very much for your contributions to as to our viewers and, and back to our, our wonderful guests. Well, here's a question. Are there specific times of the year where there is an increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes? And that really goes into the next question I wanted to, to pose. And, and that is uh, just a year ago, as I mentioned, uh, in, my, in my intro, we went through a significant spike, um, and David Pollack, who's on, on this call, who's our uh, Associate Executive Director and Director of, of uh, Jewish Security, um, and the, the, the Chairman of our Community Security Initiative, um, uh, David uh, was really on top of all of those issues together with Mitch Silber and, and uh, CSI, which was created uh, in, just in February of this year. Um, so uh, back to the point, uh, again, a, a, a year ago, we had this significant spike. Um, so is it A, times of the year which make a difference? B, can we attribute the rise in anti-Semitism we've, we, we saw before the pandemic to anything in specific? Some of it was around uh, Hanukkah, but much of it was not. Um, so again, two questions in that, are there times of the year? and what happened last year? And do you anticipate that when this pandemic subsides, um, God willing, we're gonna start seeing uh, vaccines in New York City next week, uh, that there's a potential for anti-Semitism to once again rear its head?
1: Michael, as always, 10 questions at once. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me first start with uh, David Pollack. Uh, I, ha- I owe an apology. He sent me a beautiful digital background as uh, most people use in these. Um, It does not work on my personal device that I'm on right now. So I apologize, it's beautiful. I thank you for the the help with that. Uh, But as you started Michael saying that uh, you're coming to uh, this crowd uh, from your office, I'm coming to this crowd from my living room. So I have to use my personal device and uh, I couldn't get that to work. So thank you again, David. And I apologize that uh, I'm not using it. Uh, We have seen um, spikes in hate crimes against all identities based on holiday seasons for that identity. national, international um, events, uh, like one of the ones, you know, we, we saw a spike during the 2016 election. We saw a spike during the 2018 midterm elections. We did not see too much of a spike during the 2020 election, which I, I can get into in a minute, but I think that's also with the decrease that's related to the COVID time period we're in. Um, we look at the holidays usually as a target rich environment. On a holiday, there are more people of that identity group going to, let's say, their services, synagogue, church, mosque, temple, uh, whatever. There are more people out to be victimized. So we could see a spike there. Uh, going back to the numbers, as I said, 55%, I think last year it was 52% of hate crimes were anti-Semitic. We did have a, a increase in anti-Semitic crimes by 25%. We had an increase in all crimes by 20%. But the, the spike that you talk about is, is interesting because I mapped it out. And we took 25 anti-Semitic hate crimes in December last year. 25.
0: 25.
1: If you go by law of averages for we do, we see about four or five a week. So 25 is a little high based on the law of averages. An interesting note to that is we took 29 in October, but the 25 in December, got more media attention and got more public interest. Why? Because it was around the holiday. Why? Because it was after Jersey City and Muncie. And mapping them out even more minuscule, driving the numbers down. In the first week in December last year, we took four hate crimes, that's on average. The second week we took zero anti-Semitic hate crimes. The third week we took zero anti-Semitic hate crimes. The fourth week we took nine and the last week we took 12. Hmm. So that number 25 for the month maps out to the 29 in October. It's, it's close and it's similar but we saw a period of calm and quiet followed by Muncie and Jersey City and then followed by a spike of 21 crimes in New York City against the Jewish population. Also the severity of those crimes, as I said, 80% of our crimes are property damage. You'll remember last year, the Sheepshead Bay area and like the Midwood Flatbush area of Brooklyn, we had a string of hate crimes being committed by one person. And those weren't property crimes, those were pushing and shoving of Jewish women. So we do see um, this raise during, like I said, national, international events and holidays. uh, And then it usually dies down. This year is, a bit of an anomaly, where we're down 30 something percent in hate crimes as of right
0: now. And, and that's attributable to what?
1: Well, let's say 30% uh, down in hate crimes, 50% down in anti-Semitic hate crimes. There's got to be some COVID connection in there. Uh, yeah. These numbers do date back to before COVID. As of the first week in March, we were down 20 something percent in hate crimes. So there was a decrease in the beginning of the year before COVID started. Then we saw two things. We saw the rise in COVID-related hate crimes. Uh, we took 24 reported COVID-related hate crimes, 23 against the Asian population, one against the Jewish population. Uh, but then with the COVID lockdowns, less victims on the streets, less perpetrators on the streets, um, we moved forward into less and less hate crimes. Then we moved into the George Floyd protests, which right. some a portion elevated into uh riot behavior and whatnot. And since then, I I think part of it is people who hate have directed their hate in a new direction. And it's not just Jewish people or not just identity-based. It's politically based, which is not a hate crime. Uh, It's sections of the population. It's uh, income-based. So we do see this decrease right now that I I hope will continue. I I kind of, I was looking at numbers. I I grabbed some numbers for this and and I was amazed that um, we talk about the property damage cases and 80% of anti-Semitic cases. We are down greatly right now in those property damage cases. But we're also down in assaults. We're also down in robberies. Uh, Those are very few of the numbers. Last year, even with that increase that I said, 26% increase in anti-Semitic crimes, robberies were down, assaults were down, uh, menacing with a weapon was down. What was up was property crimes. We took 47 additional anti-Semitic crimes last year. 39 of them were swastikas. Hmm. That's not great. I'm not excited about that. It's still a hate crime. It's still an absolutely heinous act. And in some regards, it may affect more people than a uh, person-on-person crime. But I'm happy the violence is down. We we strive to uh, decrease violence. And even looking at this year, we've seen the articles even as recent as yesterday with the uh, shootings being up to a 14 year high. Um, but looking at overall numbers, overall numbers are down, assaults are down, robberies are down uh, year to date in the city, rapes are down year to date in the city. So crime is decreasing in a lot of categories and I am very happy that it's decreasing in hate crimes too. Uh,
0: we're getting a number of questions in, in the chat that I, I wanna get to as quickly as possible. Um, and the, this question um uh, mer- merges with a question i wanted to pose in regard to training um are are all nyb B, pd uh, officers trained in how to respond and investigate hate crimes or is training provided to investigators who are assigned to H- to the hate crimes task or hctf and how many officers and detectives are there uh in the hctf that work under you under your command
1: training um Two different aspects of the training. All police officers in the police academy receive training on hate crimes and how to investigate hate crimes. And again, when I say investigate, I mean on the uniform response end, not the investigating the crime that my unit does. Um, so they received that training. I actually, which I'll get into in a second, I went to that training last week. I mm-hmm. went to the police academy class. I asked the uh, inspector over there if I could sit in on a recruit class of how they're trained on hate crimes. I was curious to know how accurate it is and how, how deep it goes. And it was interesting to learn that they group it together with other blocks of cultural awareness, cultural diversity, um, police reform, and biased policing. So it's kind of like an overall topic that gets into what a hate crime is. Since I got into hate crimes, uh, when you get promoted through the NYPD, through civil service test, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, you attend a uh, training course anywhere from two to five weeks, depending on the rank after your promotion. Little while, about six months after I got into the unit, I got my unit into that training. So every newly promoted sergeant, lieutenant, and captain gets a training from myself or the second in command, uh, Captain Tim Hollywood, on investigation of hate crimes. And there's also a um, criminal investigators course that's sponsored by the uh, chief detectives office. That's for newly promoted or newly assigned investigators. We also teach at that class. So you are getting it in the academy. Uh, they're getting it as they rise up the ranks, and they're getting it as they become investigators.
0: And how many investigators do you get? How many people do you have in, in the unit?
1: My unit is 25 people.
0: And is it broken down into investigators, uh, uh, patrol officers, or, or are they all it, investigators?
1: It's 19 investigators, um, and then supervision. Two sergeants, a lieutenant, a captain, myself, and uh, a civilian who does all my uh, admin work for me.
0: Okay. And, and also for our, our viewers, um, just to make sure that we get to the fundamentals. You, you talked about uh, the, the police officer and, and the, the, the sergeant and the lieutenant and then the captain and you stopped there. So I think it's important that people know that what, what is next, which is what you are, but uh, uh, please just uh, lay, lay it all out.
1: The first three promotions are based on civil service tests. You study that big fat binder I keep talking about, and then you take a test on it, you're ranked and you get promoted to sergeant. You study the book again, get promoted to lieutenant, study again, captain, and then everything after that is a discretionary promotion at the uh, discretion of the police commissioner.
0: Right. So there's deputy inspector, there's an inspector,
1: and, and, inspector burden, and then you the get the chief ranks.
0: The uh, chief ranks from one star to uh, to four stars is uh, is the max. Correct. Um, um, okay, uh, as a as a former United States Army chaplain, I I, I had to become very very familiar <laughs> with, uh, with, with with ranks. Okay, um, a couple of the questions are coming in. Before I get back to, to my series of questions about copycat uh, activity, um, is uh, one question is: Does do these swastikas happen because of copycat behaviors? Is is there any? Um, uh, investigation and any studies that have been done uh, about why swastikas are scrawled?
1: There's a host of different reasons. Some are actual knowledge of a swastika and hatred uh, of, uh, of any population, especially the Jewish population. Uh, some are copycats. Some are, hey, I saw this design or, hey, I don't know what it means, but I know it upsets people, which still counts to me as hate crime because you shouldn't be doing it to upset people. Um, some are ignorant to it. Uh, we work with a few different agencies, uh, especially board of education, trying to update the curriculum in school. So they know what a swastika is, where it came from, the uh, horrendousness of, of the origin of 70 years ago, 80 years ago. Um, and the effect it has on people so that we can get people to stop drawing it. Uh, you know, starting with kids, if we can get kids to understand the logic to it, when those kids are in their thirties, maybe they'll understand the logic to it.
0: Okay, um, and another Actually, question- sorry,
1: Michael, if I just jump in, uh, since we're, we're speaking to Queens, you'll remember a couple of years ago, there was an incident in a playground in Queens where uh, somebody drew hundreds of swastikas in chalk on the playground and uh, along with uh, other Nazi symbols like the uh, imperial looking eagles and, and whatnot, um, hundreds of them and we did the investigation on it. We were able to uh, identify the perpetrators and they were extremely young. I think one was 12, one was 13, and one was like 15 or 16. And uh, I received a lot of backlash for arresting these kids. They they went to family court. They're not going to Rikers and they're going to prison for the rest of their life, but somebody had to correct this behavior. And the New York Times uh, ran an article that said they were doing childlike mischief. I, Don't think hundreds of swastikas count as childlike mischief. I think there's a reason behind that. Uh, But like I said, it was our job to investigate, apprehend, arrest, and then let the family court system figure out what kind of counseling or education these juveniles need.
0: Right, Um, and uh, another point which one of our viewers uh, wrote to us about uh, is media attention. Some people do it. Again, there's copycat uh, activity here uh, because of the media attention. And uh, this is my opportunity to get my, my, uh, my quotient of uh, 15 minutes of fame.
1: Absolutely. We see media attention kind of goes both ways. We put out a lot of media in my unit. When there's an incident, uh, we tweet it out, it goes through our public information office, it hits the news. When we're looking for someone, we put their picture out on the news to to help identify them. When we make an arrest, we put that out to to let people know. So I think it's a double-edged sword because the goal is a deterrent. Let people know, if I do so, I I could have all the hatred in my heart I want, but if I act on this hatred, I'm going to be on the front cover of the news. And I don't want that. That should be part of the hope. But then there are people who it does get uh, cyclical from there that, people see the attention it gets, people want their 15 minutes of fame, and then they jump in and do something to be recognized for something or be part of some movement, and then it keeps spinning. But the good part of the media cycle spin is that maybe it gets more people to report. When we see an increase in reporting, and, and we had seen it last year, and it was an increase in incidents, definitely, but I'm hoping part of it is an increase in reporting. When you see in the news that things are happening like this, Maybe that thing that you would have overlooked, that damage to your property, that swastika drawn on uh, the wall of your apartment building, and maybe a couple of years ago, you'd be like, ah, wash it off and then forget about it. But when you see things like this are happening in your neighborhood, maybe you're more likely to say, you know what? I could just wash it off. I would have just washed it off, but I see a rise in this, so I should report mine. Increased reporting to us is is huge. Um, I spent five years working in special victims with child abuse and sexual assault. That is probably the most underreported crime followed closely by hate crimes. I'm sure hate crimes are are vastly underreported.
0: Let's get into the reporting in a moment, but I I wanna get to um, another question that came in from from our our viewers is that, can you comment on what your theory was behind the spike in anti-Semitic assault in Brooklyn in 2019 from the interviews that were conducted with the suspects? Is that something you can get into with us?
1: Uh, some of those cases might still be open, so I can't get into what the suspect said. Um, but your theory? I, my theory to it could be um, everything I said before. Target-rich environment. We had more people on the streets during the, uh, during the Hanukkah season and during the holiday season. Uh, we did have more in the, uh, in the media with Muncie and with Jersey City and the attention that got. And every incident that happened could have caused more incidents to happen or more reporting of incidents to happen because it was this constant news cycle of things popping up.
0: Okay. Um, Are there any differences? You just mentioned that a couple of open cases, yes, but uh, all the investigations of who are committing these crimes in New York City is known to the hate crimes task force. Are there any difference between who commit these hate crimes uh, in New York City and those who commit commit similar hate crimes um, or other types of hate crimes across the country? Are, are we unique? Um,
1: in most aspects, we are not unique. Um, it's a very diverse country. And just narrowing down in New York City, it's an extremely diverse uh, city. So when we you know, match up our statistics of who is committing crimes against who, we have a very diverse victim group with the 10 identities protected. And we have a very diverse uh, perpetrator group, ages, uh genders, races, it it runs across the gamut. The only thing that does make us unique that uh, I think we should all be happy about, uh, we see a rise in white supremacy in this country. Mm -hmm. We see activity, we see uh, propaganda. We see extremely little activity by white supremacists in New York. In my four years there, and the time I've worked alongside before that, in my four years there, I've seen two cases of Perpetrators who are tied to white supremacy groups or share an ideology or have paraphernalia of it. The rest of them are random diverse individuals walking down the street committing random diverse acts against random diverse people. Uh, So luckily we don't have this white supremacy. I mean, we have um, I know we have an increase in white supremacy in New York. I'd be lying to say, I, I don't believe that. It's underground, it's leafleting and stuff like that. They're not acting on it in a criminal manner, which I'm okay with, let them, I'd rather just shut them down, but let's start with where we can.
0: Uh, Speaking of starting someplace, uh, what what started uh, just a number of of years ago uh, with the advent of the internet um, is uh, cyber hate. Um, Is is there, um, are are there any provisions for investigating potential hate crimes that were committed on the internet?
1: Um, Federally, yes. Uh, even even locally, there is a terrorism charge, depending on what the person uses the internet for, what they say. Um, if it is a, an extremist group that's uh, spreading propaganda, uh, that could be investigated. It's usually not done by my office for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, if somebody is, uh, you know, we've seen Zoom bombing uh, pick up, uh, crashing into Zoom meetings such as this and, and and putting out the hatred there. Uh, A lot of the more vile acts could be covered under terrorism or could be covered under cyber crimes. So our computer crime squad will take some of the computer crime ones. Uh, We work with the FBI and their terrorism charges are much better than our New York state penal or hate crime charges. And they have the reach. We work with our Intel uh, intelligence bureau and they work with the FBI also, because if we have somebody uh, committing some sort of cyber hate crime. The NYPD is not going to send resources from the hate crime task force out to Wisconsin to go identify this person and apprehend them. We have federal partners. We have partners in every agency and our intelligence bureau works with the intelligence bureaus out there to go and investigate that. So some of them will, will take uh, numbers on for statistics, but those are usually investigated by somebody else.
0: Okay. And, and the activity of, of white supremacism outside of, of New York uh, is conducted by whom, who does the investigation, and um, what 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 penalties have been assessed uh, to those white supremacist groups? Again, questions coming in from the audience.
1: Well, if they're being conducted outside of the city, I don't have any jurisdiction over that. Outside of the state, I definitely don't. If... Uh, white supremacist activity in other states are being investigated by those entities in those states along with the federal government.
0: Okay. Um, uh, you, you, you raised before the matter of, of reporting to the NYPD. Um, does the Jewish community report more actively than other communities? For instance, uh, re- recently, uh, with regard to, to the pandemic, there were a lot of hate crimes directed towards the, the Chinese community, uh, but they don't have a history of, of, of being um, victims of hate crimes um, as, uh, the, the, as uh, comparable to, to the Jewish community. Um, so are, are there communities that tend to report and tend not to report? And uh, what does NYBPD do? What does HCTF do in order to encourage people uh, to report those crimes?
1: The Jewish population, I I would have to hypothesize based on the numbers, based on the fact that 55% of hate crimes are against Jewish people. I'd have to say that the Jewish community is reporting. Uh, Are they reporting all? No, they're probably not. And we encourage everybody to commit hate crimes, uh, everybody to report hate crimes to the NYPD. Um, But we do see a lot of other groups that either have documentation issues are uh not documented to be in this country or even if they are they have a genuine and legitimate fear of police because of where they come from uh we see a lot in the hispanic community the african community um the asian community that we do see a lot of this undocumented people so they're afraid to report to the police because of this Uh, mistaken idea that they're going to be picked up by the police and deported out of the country for being the victim of a crime. That's absolutely not true. The NYPD doesn't ask immigration status when we do an investigation. Uh, But some of the, the people who've come here as immigrants, documented or not, are fearful of the police because of the countries they come from. So a lot of the these identity groups will report at a much lesser rate because of that fear. Uh, So what we do is we we work with as many communities as we can. Uh, Our Community Affairs Bureau does a lot of outreach to uh, different communities, and they have different people assigned to uh, each community and the advocacy groups for those communities. Uh, We work with uh, a dozen different partners. The Department of Justice does uh, presentations. The FBI does presentations, as I said, around community affairs, our school safety, the district attorney's offices. I've done presentations similar to this. For every single one of those agencies and units to, to try to get the message out there. And the important part of it is, uh, you know, what, what I could applaud this um, meeting, the, the Zoom call on, is that my problem is always getting to the people who might be victimized. Mm-hmm. I could speak to you, Mr. Miller and uh, and uh, David Pollack and a lot of people, but you're mid-level. I need you to bring it down to the people on the street. And right. you're doing that obviously right here in front of me. Uh, but we have to make sure that the people on the street get that message that it is okay to talk to the police. They are here to help you.
0: All right, well, I think that we in the Jewish community have done a very good job of ensuring that there are positive relationships between our community certainly our leadership and NYPD. Uh, we know that law enforcement is key to our safety and security uh, in, in our uh, respective neighborhoods uh, and, and homes. Um, and I, I just want to get to one more uh, question from the 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 audience. Um, and it's kind of a question that i'm I'm developing from a comment that we received. Uh, uh, thank you from somebody who, who uh, lives in, in New Jersey but is connected to New York um, considering all that's happening in, in New York City and your relationship with the FBI clearly uh, New Jersey is, is to the, is to, to the west Connecticut is to to the north even Westchester and other New York State uh, uh, counties uh, going up uh, all the way to the Canadian border and uh, Long Island is, is to uh, to uh, NYC's East um, Uh, Are are there uh, shared resources, best practices uh, that are communicated from uh, one uh, state to the other and from one police force to another uh, beyond the FBI?
1: Um, There are. We have liaison relationships, um, not directly in hate crime task force, obviously, but the NYPD has federal partners uh state partners uh in- enrolled in it and then those people branch out um you know we have a uh an executive from the new york state police who works in what in nypd headquarters so if they need something on the state level they go to that person well that person has the liaisons to jersey connecticut massachusetts I see. Uh-huh. pennsylvania whatever's around to branch out the fbi also uh we've had international cases Um, I reach out to my colleagues in the FBI and they reach out to their colleagues in Florida or Texas or Israel about incidents that are going on there to feed information back and forth. We also have uh, Police Commissioner Shea started the Remy unit about a year ago, an ethnically motivated extremism. They work with the Intelligence Bureau Hmm. and they are tracking extremist activity. Um, they do their work and they, they track whatever they do. I can't get into their job, but the liaison program between myself and them is that when I get a perpetrator, I give that information all over the intelligence bureau so they could run social media and computer checks and see if this person's tied to anything. And likewise, when they get something, um, they're monitoring this, uh, 30,000 foot view of what are people saying? But if they see something that could have been a hate crime in New York City, they bring that information to me. And of course, being in the intelligence bureau, they work with intelligence bureaus across the country and the world.
0: Right. Well, uh, we certainly have great respect for uh, NYPD's uh, intelligence bureau for Intel. Uh, In fact, the executive director of our community security initiative of CSI uh, is Mitch Silber, who headed up uh, the intelligence analysis division within NYPD when Ray Kelly was, uh, was the commissioner, um, and I mentioned uh, David Pollack before. But I also want to mention that we have uh, five uh, regional security uh, directors um, And in Manhattan, uh, Terry uh, Byrne, who is a retired lieutenant and a commander, um, and in, in Queens, uh, Seth Goodstein, who is a retired lieutenant, uh, in Brooklyn, Adam Berish, who is a retired, uh, detective uh, up in in Westchester and, and the Bronx is uh, Bill Hayes, who's a retired police chief of uh, Bedford and Westchester. And out in Long Island, uh, we have uh, LeRon Philby, who's retired security from the, the state of Israel. So uh, we we have uh, our our folks out there. We also have an intelligence analyst uh, on our staff. Uh, so we're in constant contact uh, with uh, intel. Uh, departments uh, in, in the New York metropolitan area. But Hate Crimes Task Force is just so important to us in the Jewish community. And I, I can't thank you enough, uh, uh, Deputy Inspector, for spending so much time uh, with us. I'm gonna give you a chance to think about what your last message would be to our community as we begin Hanukkah tonight. Uh, and to, to thank uh, our amazing sponsor uh, for um, the Community Relations Corner, of course, that's the Free Synagogue of Flushing. Um, and they are serving, as I mentioned before, the Reformed Jewish community in Queens for over a century. Visit freesynagogflushing.org to learn about their wide array of programming and their a beautiful sanctuary, social hall, and meditation garden are available for rent. Visit FreeSyn- visit freesynagogflushing.org to learn about Shabbat and holiday services and weekly Sunday school. Once again, it's freesynagogflushing.org and my annual, my annual, my regular shout out to their president, Ed Shouders, members of our board, to Alan Brava, to Rabbi Gail, uh, and to my, my producers of, of this show, uh, our chief, exec, chief operating officer, um, and that's Noam Gilboard and Rebecca Grossman, and Jennifer Glick, my three Gs. Um, and I also wanna thank um, uh, Terry Byrne from uh, CSI for, I, I believe he was the one who was uh, the matchmaker here. Uh, although again, your connection with JCRC goes back uh, um, a long way. Uh, so um, uh, in, Inspector, uh, a last word from you, please. Oh, so
1: many last words. Um, <laughs> let's do the most important first, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, what do we got, one, one o'clock in the afternoon now? So we're closing in on Happy Hanukkah. I, I, I pray for a uh, happy and a healthy holiday season, uh, happy and healthy new year coming. That is uh, you know, the most important part. Uh, the other part that I always say is report. If you are a victim of a hate crime, if you're a victim of any crime, call nine one one and report. If you witness a crime happening, call nine one one or report. Work with the investigators to to uh, to get something done. I, I said it to somebody recently from JCRC. I I think I say it now because I'm getting older and grumpier, but uh, much with my grumpy my grumpy mug here. I'm that guy. Um, I think it's a humanitarian issue. And I think everybody has the right to report or not report their crime based on their uh, trauma endured. I get it. But I think it's a humanitarian issue that we all have to report our crimes so that we could stop somebody else from being victimized. I think that's the the goal here is to prevent another incident from happening on on somebody else. so I'll, I'll say that, and happy Hanukkah, and and thank you for the work you do, and thank you for those who uh, jumped in on the call. I know it's not easy at uh, noontime on, on a Thursday, but uh, but I appreciate you all being here to listen to me.
0: Thank you very much, Deputy Inspector Mark Melanari, the commander of the Hate Crimes uh, Task Force of the New York uh, Police Department. Thank you for spending so much time with us, and as uh, one of our Uh, viewers noted, uh, thank you for taking the time with us today and for educating us all. Indeed, we have been uh, uh, much uh, better educated on the subject of hate crimes and how they're dealt with by law enforcement than we were uh, prior to Community Relations Corner. I want to thank our wonderful audience who watched us live and those who will be watching us uh, on the internet. Uh, I am Michael Miller, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Community Relations Corner. We wish Everyone, happy and safe Hanukkah and a joyous and meaningful holiday season, particularly to Inspector Monnery for him and his family. Chag Sameach, a happy holiday to, to all and shalom. Be well. Thank you.